Amen. That was so beautiful. Thank you, ladies, for that. Open your Bible, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 27. Folks, we've got an amazing story here before us today. And I really want you to catch this because there's a great lesson for you and for me here. The uh, title of the message is Let's Just Believe God. Let's just believe God. We have a, a story where the Apostle Paul was put on a ship with many others. And the idea was to sail off to Rome. And that was the plan. However, if you pick up the story, actually in verse number nine, it says now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the, the fast was now already passed. Paul admonished them and said unto them, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. And so the apostle here approached the, the men in control, the professionals. And he said, we have a problem here. If we were to proceed, we could all die. There's going to be a problem with the ship, with all of the stuff on the ship and possibly our lives as well. I perceive. How did Paul perceive that? Well, he obviously had access to something that the professionals didn't have access to. So in verse 11, it says, nevertheless, the centurion, there's the uh, military man in charge of Paul and the other prisoners. The centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. The master, of course, was the guy that was, um, in charge of the ship. And then the, there's the owner of the ship as well. Now these men were both professional seaworthy men. They were nautical masters. They understood the signs and times of the sea. They knew how to maneuver through uh, choppy waters and stormy waters. They'd been around a long time. Uh, they were in the business. This was their livelihood, their profession. If anyone had the answers, these professional men had the answers. And the centurion went and spoke, of course, to the master, the guy in charge running the ship, and also to the owner of the ship. And both of these seasoned professionals assured the centurion that it was going to be okay. Paul, God bless him. He's just a preacher. You know, he, he may know a few Bible verses. He may love the people, but he's not a sailor. Paul has been on a ship a few times. Yes, he has, but he's not like us. We are the professionals. We've been in this business. We've our fathers were in the business and their fathers were in the business and we've grown up. I mean, this is not some Johnny come lately. We began our sailing profession almost from the day we were born. Uh, there's nothing we don't know about the sea and about the winds and waves and the stars and, and about the boat itself. So you can believe us when we can assure you that we're going to be all right. And the centurion hearing this type of thing believed what the master and the owner said rather than what Paul said. I mean, after all, what does Paul know? He knows some theology, but he, he's not a seasoned nautical expert, is he? That's the situation we have here. Now, verse 12, to make Paul's matter worse, you know, the, the case that he had put forth in verse nine and uh, verse 10 to make matters worse here. 
It says, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, so it wasn't a, the place where the ship was, wasn't the best place for them. Uh, the more part advised to depart thence. Also, if by any means they might attain to Phenice and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, the island of Crete out in the Mediterranean and lieth toward the Southwest and the Northwest. Now watch verse 13. And when the South wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose. Ah, the South wind is blowing softly, says the professional, says the master, says the owner to the centurion. Sir, have you noticed the South wind is blowing softly? Yeah. What does that mean? Well, every nautical expert knows that the weather is on our side. We're going to have favorable weather for the next little while. So there's nothing to worry about. See, I told you, we know this business. We know what we're talking about. I mean, we wouldn't put our ship at risk. We wouldn't put the lives of, of innocent people at risk, but trust us. We know what we're talking about. We are the professionals. We're going to be all right. And so the centurion must have thought, oh, whew, good. Well, now I know for sure that the preacher is wrong. That apostle Paul, he may know some theology, but he doesn't know the winds and the waves and the Mediterranean sea, not like these seasoned professionals do. I mean, that's all they do all day long. That's their livelihood. And when they die, their children will take over the business. Eh, we got nothing to worry about. So verse 14, but not long after there arose against it, a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. Now, the word Eurachlidon is a Greek word and it means a violent agitation. And it still happens on the Mediterranean. And this comes, this storm comes up almost out of nowhere. And it whips the sea into a frenzy. Well, if the seasoned professionals had known that this was going to happen, they would have said, no, we better just batten down the hatches, throw out a few more anchors, whatever, tie the ship up real good, and let's just hunker it out because why put our lives at risk eh? by going out in, in what, what could be our death. But the professionals didn't see it that way. I'd like to suggest to you that these men, the master and the owner were as professional as they get. As far as knowing the winds and waves and the, the sea and the times and seasons, these were the best professionals in the business. And the centurion believed him rather than believed what the preacher was trying to tell him. But yet Paul perceived something. Paul had access to information that the nautical experts did not have. And what ended up happening was they, they sailed right into this wild storm. In verse 15, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And they went loop-de-loop -loop all over the place. And it was a miracle that they hadn't sunk right then and there. What this story is telling us is that the professionals of the world and the experts of the world are not always right. They're not always right. We've got a Bible here that tells us that there are times when the experts of the, the, the seas were wrong. That's what this story is telling us is the seasoned experts, the best in the business, the professionals were dead wrong with their advice. 
Now, does that mean they're always wrong? No, but this time they were wrong. The medical experts laughed Jesus to scorn when he said, the young maid is, is not dead, she sleepeth. Because they said, she's dead. She is dead, as dead can be. And Jesus went in and raised her from the dead. You know, the, the Bible tells us that the professionals aren't always right. How about the, uh, the legal experts? The legal experts. Ah, this is never going to pass. It's never going to go through. You don't hold your breath. You'll die. And yet we've got the story of the, the uh, unjust judge and the widow woman who wouldn't give up until finally he ruled in her favor. Now that unjust judge was an expert. He wasn't going to have anything to do with what she she wanted. And yet she followed a biblical principle and got a victory. The legal experts aren't always right. The financial experts aren't always right either. What? Give 10% of your hard-earned money to God? What are you, nuts? Are you crazy? Why don't you just give it all away? No, God doesn't ask us to give it all away. He asks us to honor him with 10%. That's called a tithe. You'll go broke. You'll lose your shirt. You'll lose your house. You can't afford to give 10%. When God says, give and it shall be given unto you. And God says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now. Herewith seeth the Lord, saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive. The financial experts are not always right. Then, of course, there's the scientific experts that try to tell us that we come from monkeys. I'm telling you, those guys are out to lunch. In Romans chapter 1, professing themselves to be wise... They became fools, absolute fools. Listen, have you ever thought about how wonderful your body is and how it just does some amazing things all by itself and it looks after itself while you're fast asleep? You don't have to keep reminding your heart, come on, keep beating. Don't forget now, fella, I'm counting on you. You don't have to do that, right? And God has designed the body so amazing. It was the, the eyeball and vision that made Darwin the guy with the evolution theory, it made him stumble. He figured he had an answer for everything else except vision. He couldn't figure that out. They're always looking for the missing link. And that's exactly what it is. It's missing because it doesn't exist. You know, God is the one who created us. God is very specific. And he tells us that all souls are mine and the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So the soul belongs to God. Every person's soul that's what's inside you, the mind, will, and intellect, right? That's the soul. That's the you. Then there's the spirit you have that animates your body. And by the way, the spirit is the one that keeps your heart thumping. And that spirit was given to you at conception. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it tells us that on death, that spirit goes back to God who gave it. So your soul belongs to him. Your spirit belongs to him. And then God says in the Psalms, I'm sorry, in Jeremiah, he says, all fl flesh is my, I, I am the, the God of all flesh. Your body, your physical body, body, soul, and spirit belong to him. Of course, our medical experts, they, they don't see it that way. Our scientific geniuses, they don't see it that way. And how about our military masterminds? Well, they, they make mistakes all the time, aren't they? Don't, isn't that true? They do. 
in, you go to the hospital and you say, oh, I got a pain here. They're guessing 80% of the time. 80% of the time, they don't know. They're taking a guess. Now, I will give them credit that they make pretty good guesses. But they're guessing at 80% of the time. And the military men says, attack, when they shouldn't attack. And we, again, we've got Bible examples where God says, okay, we're going to take this city. Okay, God, how are we going to take it? We're going to march around and say nothing. What kind of a military tactic is that? That's my military tactic, says God. Paul had access to information that the master of the ship didn't have. The owner of the ship didn't have. No one had. Paul had access to God. And you see here in verse 25, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer for now say these next three words out loud with me. Everyone, please. I believe God. Say it again. I believe God. And that's what I want to preach on for the next few minutes. Let's just believe God. Now let's pray. Our father, we ask now for a special unction, a special eye opening unction of what it is you have to say. Lord, we all have a choice. We can either believe the world or we can believe your word. And so help us today as born again believers to just believe God. And help us now in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, I want you to know that the so-called experts, the so-called experts are telling us that the Bible is just a nice piece of literature. That's what it is. You know, and you appreciate it the way you would appreciate Shakespeare, for example, and the writings of Shakespeare. And that's how you should appreciate the Bible. But it's nothing more. Folks, let's just believe God. Because God tells us that that book is a living book. Shakespeare is dead. His writings are all dead. But that book is a living book. Let's just believe what God says about that book. That book right there, the Bible, has changed men's lives. Drunkards, drug addicts, murderers have had their lives turned around and turned into something wonderful because of that book. Families broken because of sin and alcohol have come back together strong because of that book right there. How many families do you know of? How many marriages do you know of that were on the rocks that were saved because of the writings of Shakespeare? How many? How many drug addicts have been reformed or alcoholics have been redeemed because they read Romeo and Juliet? The writings of Shakespeare. Oh, Shakespeare is the greatest author. Huh, I'll tell you something. I perceive there's a better author. He wrote that book right there. Let's just believe God. That's what I'm saying today. Let's just believe God. Some people say the Bible is not the word of God. It contains the word of God. And it's our job to sort of pick it apart and try and find what part of it is the word of God? Baloney. The whole book is God's book. It doesn't contain the mind of God. It is the mind of God, folks. And some people say that the Bible is not to be taken literally. It's just poetic. It's just stories. It's just things that'll just sort of conjure up pictures in your mind. Baloney. 
This is the dividing issue, the acid test of faith. What you and I believe about that book right there. Everything will rise and fall according to what we believe about that book. Many Christians believe, oh yeah, the Bible is the word of God, but yet they don't live it. They don't live it. You know, if I were to ask you, uh, what room in your house contains the food? What answer might you give me? One word, what is it? The kitchen, right? So we all believe that. We believe that the kitchen contains the food, right? But we never go there. We never go in the kitchen to, to find the food. We never go in the kitchen to eat the food because somehow we just don't think it's going to help. Even the family dog knows where the food is. The dog loves the kitchen because of the food. You know, we who claim to believe that the Bible is the word of God, we ought to be in the word of God every day. Don't say you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God and then you don't open the book. You don't open it on Monday. You don't open it on Tuesday. You don't open it on Wednesday. Come Sunday, honey, have you seen my Bible? We've got to go to church today. I'm supposed to bring the Bible. Where is my Bible? You do that with your kids? You've got Huey, Dewey, and Louie. You've got three kids God's blessed you with. Huey, Dewey, and Louie, every day, don't you know where they're at? Sure you do, as a parent, as a loving parent. I got Huey and Dewey, no Louie. Louie, Louie, where? Oh, here's a Louie over here. Ah, now we got Huey, Dewey, and Louie every day. And when the kids go out someplace, where are you going? How long are you going to be there? When are you coming back? And if they don't come back, you're on the phone saying, hey, where's Huey? You keep tabs on your children and ought you should, yes. How about this blessed book? You ought to know where it is at every, every day, hmm? at any moment of the day. If I were to ask you, where's your Bible? You should, should know where it is. Unless you're one of those who never read it and you always put it in the same place, right there on the coffee table. And, you know, it stays there until Sunday morning and then you, you grab it and you bring it to church. So if I said, where's your Bible? You say, the coffee table. All right, I don't mean that. I mean that you ought to be using it. You ought to take it with you into your prayer closet or by your bedside. Or in the living room is fine. You can put it on the coffee table as long as it's used. If we really believe that this is, this is the greatest book, Take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Turn to the right. 1 Thessalonians, after uh, Philippians, Colossians, you'll find 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now you help me here and read verse 13 out loud with me. All right, are we ready? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Everyone, let's read together now. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That says it all right there. When Paul came preaching the word of God, they received it as God's word, not the words of men, but as God's words. You know, when I preach to you, my own philosophies, you can take them or leave them. But when I preach to you, the word of God, you're responsible for that. 
And you and I both, we need to submit ourselves to the word of God. We need to obey what God says. Amen? That's the way she works. But this is the dividing issue. The acid test of true faith is what you believe about the scriptures. And the scriptures, in the scriptures, God tells us numerous times that this blessed book is from him. Most of us are familiar with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, throughly furnished unto all good works. We're told in Psalm 119, verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's just believe God. God says this is his book. Let's just believe him. God says that this blessed book here has the answers and the instructions for life. Let's just believe it. If you are in need of answers, start here in the scriptures. It doesn't matter if your answer has to be a medical or scientific or geographical or historical. Start with the word of God. God will lead you. He will show you. I'm telling you today that the Bible is absolutely accurate on all matters of science and history and geography, including counseling and medicine and diet and health. The Bible is absolutely accurate on all matters of family and raising kids and finances and husband and wife relationships and prophecy. The Bible is accurate and victory over sin and all church matters plus all matters of faith and practice. And right about now, someone says, well, the Bible doesn't, it doesn't have everything. Not everything's in the Bible. Well, I agree. Purgatory is not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. Maybe you've heard of a place called limbo. Have you ever heard of limbo? Limbo is supposed to be right on the edge of hell. And it's a waiting place where people go who aren't really worthy to go to hell, but they're not quite ready to go to heaven. They call it limbo. That's not in the Bible. Lighting candles for dead people or sick people is not in the Bible. Um, sprinkling or pouring for baptism is not in the Bible. Baby baptism is not in the Bible. Prayers to Mary or prayers to any of the saints for help is not in the Bible. Speaking in tongues to be saved is not in the Bible. Be good and you'll go to heaven is not in the Bible. Be sincere and you'll go to heaven is not in the Bible. Be baptized in water to be saved is not in the Bible. Join the church to be saved is not in the Bible. Confession to a priest or a preacher for forgiveness is not in the Bible. Yes, there are some things that are not in the Bible. But anything that you have a struggle with, a question on, start with the Bible. Start there. And God will lead you from there. You will find that God will give you the exact answer or he'll give you a principle by which you can follow. 
and God will bring the answer to you. Whenever a person, a family, a city, a province, a nation, a church has resigned their belief in this blessed book, they instantly begin to decay on the inside and they die on the outside. Now, what does all this mean? All this means that the Bible is exactly what God says it is. It's his word. It's his living word. Someone once said, it's alive. It's alive. I speak to it. It speaks back to me. It comforts me. I press it to my heart. I squeeze it. It oozes blood. It's a living book. There's so many people that don't want to read the Bible. Say, why is that? Because they tried it once and it kicks. They read something about sin and it kicked them. And so, oh, never read that book again. What does this mean? All this, it means that the Bible is to be read and loved and obeyed every day of our lives. Let's just believe God. All right? Let's just, the experts, the so-called experts, they tell us that Jesus was just a man. That's what they tell us. The experts, the ones with several PhDs after their name. Fit, 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 fit. Those ones. And they tell us, they assure us, they know it all. And they assure us that Jesus was a nice fellow, but he was just a man. And what I suggest to you is that let's just believe God. Let's just believe what God says about Jesus Christ. And what God says about Jesus Christ in the Bible is that Jesus Christ is absolutely the son of God. He is God of very God. That's how much God he is. He is not the illegitimate son of Mary and some Roman centurion. He is not an ordinary man who became God on the cross. He is not some angel created being sent from heaven to earth. Jesus is God of very God. He is equal in every way with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. Let's just believe God. Jesus, listen, take your Bible. We're in Thessalonians there, are we? Let's turn back to John, Gospel of John. You'll like this. John chapter number one. John chapter number one. In John chapter number one, verses one and two, in the beginning was the word, capital W. And the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Here we see that Jesus created the universe. No angel ever did that. Jesus created the universe. Turn to chapter 8. You'll find that Jesus is saying something amazing and the Jews didn't like it. 
In chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily. Now when Jesus says verily, verily, he's about to say something very important. I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Moses once said to God, Now who shall I, I say has sent me? I am. That was the answer the self-existent one. And Jesus was saying to the Jews of his day, before Abraham ever lived, I am. Not only was he saying he existed before Abraham, but he was saying he's God. I am. Um, Jesus, even if you look at chapter 9, the very next chapter, he received the worship of men. Look at verse 38, 9 and 38. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. If you look at chapter 20 of John, chapter 20 of John and verse number 28, here's Thomas after Jesus died and rose again. And here's Thomas. And he said unto him, my Lord and my God. That's pretty powerful. Pretty clear evidence. There is so much evidence that Jesus is divine. He is God of very God. He is not a God. He is the God. He is not some kind of angel that was sent to earth or somehow took upon himself divinity while on the cross. None of that. He's always been God. He always will be God. Let's just believe what God says about his own son. He ought to know. And what's more? Who can forgive sins but God? Look at the Gospel of Luke. Go back just a few pages to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse number 24. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He saith unto the sick of the palsy. Remember this story? I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. Who can forgive sins but God? He's the only one. And there he is doing it right there. There's a story told about an old lady who loved the Lord. And she was well up in years. And she was getting ready for heaven. She was dying. And the glow of heaven was on her face. She lived in a small community. This is many, many years ago. The local Catholic priest thought he would pay her a visit. And so he, he went there and he went to see her and he said, Madam, I've come to grant you absolution. Absolution. And she didn't know what that meant. She says, what does that mean? And he answered her and he said, well, I've come to forgive you your sins. She asked him, May I see your hand? And he reached forth his hand. And she examined his hand and looked him in the eye and said, Sir, you are an imposter. The scandalized priests What? What do you mean that I'm an imposter? And the, the old woman said, Yes, sir, an imposter. The man who forgives my sins has nail prints in his hands. Who can forgive sins but God? And there he is. <laughs> Jesus was virgin born. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He was miraculous in his birth and miraculous in his death. 
Now, what does all this mean? What this means is that Jesus is to be loved and adored and worshipped and depended upon and walked with and prayed to and fellowshiped with. He's the master, not us. He's the creator, we're the creation. He's the potter, we are the clay. We need him, folks. Let's just believe God. Let's just believe God about what the, he says about the Bible, what he says about his son. Now, finally, the so-called experts assure us, they tell us absolutely that faith and prayer do not produce miracles. Don't even bother. Faith and prayer, it'll warm your heart, the experts tell us. Faith and prayer may be good to comfort you on your deathbed or over the death of a loved one. But don't depend on faith and prayer to perform the miraculous. And dearly beloved, I'm saying this, let's just believe God. Let's just believe what God says about faith and prayer and that he will bless us in proportion to our faith. Take your Bible, please, and turn back to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And I think we'll be finishing on this verse. Matthew was a book written to show that Jesus is the King of Kings. And Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. The expression son of David was an expression meaning Messiah. They recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the promised Messiah. Verse 28, and when he was come into the house, the blind man came to him and Jesus saith unto them, believe ye that I am able to do this? You believe I'm able to do this? Have you ever asked God for a miracle to do something beyond your power? Have you ever asked him and prayed and asked him to do that? Chances are you probably have. There's probably something in your life at some time where you got on your knees and you said, Lord Jesus, please, would you do this miracle? Here's the words of the Lord back to you. Why don't you underline them in your Bible? In verse number 28. Believe ye that I am able to do this? You believe I can do it? And it says, they said unto him, yea, Lord. Now, it doesn't say yes. It says yay. What's the difference? Yay is a stronger. It's more emphatic than yes. So, boy, we sure do. It has that kind of emphasis or emphasis. Depends on, on what shul you went to, right? Where you put your emphasis, your emphasis. They said unto him, yay, Lord. Then watch this. Verse 29, then touched he their eyes saying, underline these words now, Accord, say them out loud with me, please. According to your faith, be it unto you. There it is right there. According to your faith, be it unto you. 
Your faith is like a muscle. If you were not to use some of your muscles for a long time, ooh, you'd have a hard time using them. That's what happens every year in summertime when people who don't play softball or volleyball or something, they get out on the court. They're going to play volleyball. They're going to get out there and swing the, the bat and knock the ball out of the park. And they have a great time at the picnic. And then the next day, they're in incredible pain and agony. It's because they haven't used those muscles all year long. And now they're calling upon them to perform. And faith is like a muscle. And if you don't use that muscle, you're in trouble. You need to exercise and use that muscle every day. And the Bible tells us over and over, the just shall live by what? Faith. The just shall live day by day by faith. By faith, you believe what God says about the Bible. By faith, you believe what God says about your master, Jesus. And you submit to him and obey him and follow him. And by faith, you believe that God will bless you according to your faith. You take God at one of his promises and God is excited about that. God loves that. The story is told of D.L. Moody, who was trying to teach his son, um, William, Willie, his boy, little boy, Willie, he was trying to teach him faith. And so he took his boy, Willie, and he put him up on the, the mantelpiece over top of the, the fireplace. Fire wasn't on. He put his boy up there. And he said, jump to Papa, Willie, I'll catch you. And Willie said, Daddy, I scared, I scared. It's okay, Willie. I've got good, strong arms. I'll catch you, Willie. Jump into my arms, Willie. Daddy, I scared, I scared. And then Moody encouraged his boy. And then finally, holding his breath, the boy took his life in his hands and jumped toward his father. And his father caught him in his arms. Well, that was a lesson to be learned. And Moody put his boy down and turned. Instantly, his boy ran up on top of that. You know how boys are like little monkeys. Climb right up there. And Moody heard his son behind him say, catch me, daddy. And he turned just in time to be able to catch his son. No hesitation this time. I mean, hey, when Jesus tells you to walk on water... And you walk on water. I mean, that does something for your faith, doesn't it? According to your faith, be it unto you. That's a lesson there that my wife and I learned. Oh, over 25 years ago, we were going through maybe close to 30 years. I'm not sure. We were going through some real tough times. And we weren't sure what was going to happen. And so finally, we're sitting up in bed one night, reading the scriptures, looking for the answer. That's why I'm telling you, start with the Bible. And in our Bible reading, we came upon this, according to your faith, be it unto you. And we both sat up and looked at each other. Is it that simple? And the verse before, believe ye that I'm able to do this? Well, of course, God, you can do this. We have no problem believing that. And this great sense of joy came over us. And that's one of the ways that we know that we have faith. See, faith is a gift of God. If you read about it in Galatians chapter uh, uh, five about the fruit of the spirit. It's one of the fruit of the spirit. It is faith. 
And the Holy Spirit wants you and I to have faith because God wants us to live by faith and to trust him. That's what God is wanting. And when we run across his promise here in the scripture and we hold it to our, our bosom and we say, yes, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. It makes God excited. Faith and prayer bring about the miraculous. That's what the Bible is telling us here. Faith is like a muscle. And as it grows with good diet, by the way, read your Bible, pray every day and you'll what? Grow, grow, grow. There's your diet, good diet and good usage. You want to use it day by day. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 was written to encourage us to use faith. All you got to do is read about those great men and women who by faith did those miraculous things. Now I ask you today, how strong is your faith? How strong is your faith? When you bend the muscle, when you exercise the muscle of faith, do you go, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Oh. Now let's, let's use an example. We'll say that uh, tithing, okay? Tithing, give 10% of your income. See, here's my 10%. I'm holding my 10%. Oh, I don't think I can do this. Oh, it's so hard. Oh. And yet you talk to other Christians who have exercised faith over the years of tithing. No problem. Hey, no problem. And not only does this muscle get working, you know, as we give to God, but this muscle gets going as we receive from God. That's the promise of God. And yet some Christians who... We're all atrophied in their muscles of faith. Oh, give my 10% to God. Oh, I don't think anyone can do it. Oh, it's so painful. Well, maybe at first, but I'm telling you, it gets a whole lot easier when you see God bless him. It does. How strong is your faith? Do you have joy with your faith? You know, most of us, I hope all of us, but most of us are exercising faith for something. You know, Lord, are we going to get through COVID? Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I haven't got COVID yet. I'm trusting you for this day, Lord. And by the way, you need to pray every day. You need to pray a bubble of protection around yourself, your family, all of the church, around your pastor. You need to pray God's bubble hedge of protection around us. To my knowledge, there's no one directly connected with our church that has gotten COVID. Now, if someone has directly connected with our church, I'm not aware of it, but I keep my ear to the track at all times. You know, I like to, to know how the God's sheep are doing. And I am not aware of anyone directly connected with our church. Oh, we know of people who've gotten COVID, but directly connected. I'm not aware of anyone. Keep praying God's heads of protection. Folks, we need to reach this city and we need to reach the world. And we don't have a lot of time left. It's my belief that that building up on 104 is going to give us that very opportunity. And I'm asking every God-fearing Christian to pray and ask God to show us his will. God, is that your will? Yes or no? Show us. Show the pastor. Show us if that's the way you want us to go. You know, the apostle Paul said to the experts, he said, gentlemen, hey, time out. I perceive that this voyage is going to be to our, our doom, our demise. But the centurion believed, you know, the professionals of his day. He said, oh, no, no, it's going to be fine. And the preacher was saying, don't do it, don't do it. And they were saying, yeah, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And what happened? 
horrible loss. But yet God encouraged Paul and said, no one will die. I will give you all these people, their lives with you. And that's what happened. They all, their lives were spared. The ship was destroyed, but their lives were spared. When God called upon the people to go into the promised land, you remember the 10 of the 12 spies, the professional says, oh, can't do it. I mean, it's a beautiful place, no question. But, oh, the giants and all oh, the obstacles, can't do it. Joshua and Caleb, the only two men of faith on that committee, stood up and said, we are well able to do it. But the people's mind was made up. Then afterward, when they heard the judgment of God, they says, okay, we'll go, we'll go. Moses, the man of God says, don't go, don't go. God's not with you. And about, I don't know, a few of them went up, about 30 of them died. They tried to get in, to get in. They couldn't do it. They came back. We couldn't do it. I told you, you couldn't do it. Apostle Paul perceived he had access to information that the professionals didn't have. Folks, you and I, have access to that same information. And we need to go to God. And according to your faith be unto you. I've told God thousands of times. If that building is not your will. I have no problem. I'm not married to it. I can walk today. But if it is your will. Lord glorify yourself. Help us to get the whole gospel to the whole city. With that building, we could support up to 200 more missionaries to get the gospel into all the world. We can build a Christian school, probably almost free for the families of the church. We can build the greatest Bible college experience to train leaders, future leaders, and make that free, including all of the dormitory, housing, and feeding. Might even be able to give them 20 bucks a week, spending money too. We could take care of all of the visiting pastors and missionaries. We could build a gymnasium and reach young people. There are so many things that we could do. But yet, if it's not God's will, we don't want to have anything to do with it. That's why I'm calling upon all of the godly people of our church. I hope that's everyone. Keep praying every day. God, what is your will? Show us your will. Show us your will. You know, I share this with you, and I could be wrong, but I think we may get our answer this month. This month of October. Now, I have my reasons for that, that I won't go into, but I want to encourage you to pray. Would you pray? According to your faith, be it unto you. That's what all this means here. According to your faith, be it unto you. Let's just believe God. It may be possible that someone may be here today and is not yet born again. Would you just believe God? God tells you in the Bible, your sins have separated you from him. That's why he seems like he's out there somewhere, not close by you. Sin has to be paid for. Either you can pay for the sin yourself in hell, or you can allow the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for your sin on the cross, you can call him in, and his shed blood will cover your sin. You do it by faith. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a word of prayer. If you're here today and you're saved, you know you're saved. No question about it. No doubt about it. You know if you died, you'd go to heaven. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please. You know for sure you're saved. You can point to a time perhaps when you got saved, but you know Christ is in your heart. You know heaven's your home. Would you just slip your hand up just now? Just slip your hand up so that I can see. Anyone 
You know you're saved. Put your hand up, would you please? Just so that I can see as a testimony. I'm saved, Pastor. Here's my hand. I know I'm saved. God bless you. Possibly you couldn't raise your hand just now. It's possible that you've got doubts about heaven. And in your heart of hearts, would you ask the Lord Jesus to forgive your sins and save you from going to hell? Would you ask and pray in your heart of hearts right now, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart and be my savior. Take me to heaven when I die. I'm trusting you, Jesus, for my salvation. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray your richest blessing on all of your people and that you would increase our faith to think big and to do great things, great accomplishments, great exploits for God. According to our faith, be it unto us. So Lord, please help us to have good, strong faith. Now we pray your richest blessing on the remaining moments of the service. In Jesus' name, we humbly ask it. Amen.